Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, January 18th, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only union screen printer in Boston. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Beantown Athletics is also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back and make sure you tell them I sent you. So... Welcome to the show on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day and on a day in which a lot of people are moving ahead and looking forward to the conference championship weekend in the NFL. We have all week to do that. What I'm going to do today is look back at the divisional round, the divisional weekend that was, and it was an exciting weekend. And I mean, look, we got snow on the ground here in New England. It's getting a little bit colder you get that feel. You, I'm getting that Super Bowl feel. And I know I tweeted a couple things out yesterday that might have hinted, I'm already putting the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Now, if you go back to my pre-playoff predictions, not preseason predictions, because my preseason predictions, well, preseason predictions were I predicted the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl, and that Julian Edelman would be the MVP. That's looking like that could possibly be the case. Um, I did have him beating the Dallas Cowboys, though, and we know what happened to the Dallas Cowboys season. In fairness to that preseason prediction, going way back to what, August? Uh, Going back to the summer? In fairness to that prediction, the Cowboys were a team that had a a tough loss the year before with the Des Bryant catch, no catch in the playoffs. I thought that Tony Romo was taking a step in the right direction. I thought they would stay healthy. In fairness to that prediction, the Cowboys were not healthy at all. Des Bryant got hurt. Romo missed most of the season. So if you had told me that, I would have never put the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, never mind in the playoffs. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't know. I, I wasn't going to predict injury. So I got that part of it wrong. But my Patriots prediction from the preseason may stand to be true. But then when you get to the playoffs... And uh, you're asking me to make picks in which I make picks all the time. And I'll get to picks picks what I gave you on Friday with the divisional round, with the spread. I picked every game with the spread. I'll let you know how uh, that turned out for me in just a moment. But going back to my pre-playoff predictions, I predicted the Patriots and the Carolina Panthers to be the teams in the Super Bowl. I also predicted the one and the two seeds in each conference to be playing in conference championship weekend for the Patriots and the Broncos to be playing each other and for the Panthers and the Cardinals to be playing each other. That's the way I predicted it. And that's the way it's going to be because all four home teams won this weekend in the divisional round. The Patriots beat the Chiefs 27 to 20. The Cardinals beat the Packers 26 to 20 in overtime. The Carolina Panthers beat Seattle 31-24, and the Denver Broncos beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 23-16. Next weekend, conference championship weekend looks like this. The AFC championship will take place at 3.05 Eastern time. Now, 
That'll be a 1 o'clock start mountain time. So for everybody in Denver, that's actually a 1 o'clock game. It'll be the Patriots and the Broncos in Denver, 3 o'clock Eastern time, 1 o'clock mountain time. That's the time it will be in Denver when that ball is kicked off for the AFC Championship. And then the NFC Championship will be next Sunday at 6.40. The Carolina Panthers hosting the Arizona Cardinals. So uh, the one and the two seeds in each conference have advanced the conference championship weekend. Look, we got all week to take a look at those matchups. Uh, a rematch between the Broncos and the Patriots from week 12. And the Panthers and the Cardinals, they did not play each other this season. Uh, both games should be outstanding. But I have to take a look back at the divisional round. And first and foremost, my picks on Friday with the spread. Just to touch on that, I went 2-1 and a push. I went 2-1 and 1. My wins, the Patriots, I took a minus 5. I had a minus 5 on Friday over the Chiefs. Patriots win by 7, so the Patriots cover. I took, and that was one of my wins. My other win was the Panthers minus two over the Seahawks in Carolina. Uh, I got it at minus two. The Panthers is a two-point favorite. Uh, they win that game by seven points, so obviously they cover. My push was the Broncos minus seven over the Steelers. I told you the Broncos would win, so I got that part of it right, but they did not cover it, but it was a push. We counted as a push. It really is my, it's only my second push of the season. So, my only loss of the weekend was Arizona. I took Arizona minus seven. I took all four home teams with the spreads. Arizona won the game. They did not cover because you get to overtime. You get the touchdown. You don't kick the extra point. That's it. You get that touchdown. Game's over. Uh, so, the Cardinals win it by six only, 26 to 20, as Larry Fitz sort of took the team on his back there in overtime. And really, late in that game, Larry Fitz with a phenomenal effort to get the Cardinals that win against the Packers in what was a wild, wild game and a wild night on Saturday night. So, I get two wins, Patriots minus five, Panthers minus two. I get one loss with Arizona minus seven, not covering over the Packers. And my one push was the Broncos minus seven over the Steelers, but the Broncos win, and it just was a wild weekend. So my record now on the season is 44, 47, and two. 44 wins, 47 losses, and two pushes. I went one and three last week. And I go 2-1-1 one, and one this week. I will give you my picks with the spread for the conference championship games on Friday. Wednesday, I'll do, I'll, I'll, I'm going to stick with the game plan, stick with what we've done with the schedule. Every Wednesday, I preview the upcoming week. Every Friday, I give you my picks with the spread. Even though we're in conference championship weekend, I'm going to keep it the same. So, uh, But now it's a Monday. Let's look back at this divisional round, which began on Saturday, and, and before I close it out, I'm going to get to some other stuff as well, including the fights over the weekend. We had a big boxing match on Saturday night, championship heavyweight fight with some drama at the end of it, and then last night on Sunday night, after the football was over, we had UFC fight night on Fox Sports 1. It was here in Boston at the TD Garden, and somebody who was in studio on this show back in November, Dominic Cruz, uh, just an unbelievable performance last night. 
And he is your new bantamweight champ, so I'm going to talk about that and react to those fights before I close it out here. But let's stick to football for right now because it is a football Monday. And the weekend began on Saturday. The Patriots, look, they get the first game of the weekend, the first game of the divisional round. They host the Kansas City Chiefs. You know the storylines going in. I, 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 We went over them all week on this show, on this podcast. I was even on WEEI 93.7 FM on Friday night from 10 to midnight, getting you set for this game the very next day on Saturday. The storylines, you know, week began with the Belichick black eye. It went into the Chandler Jones police report, running around shirtless with no shoes, uh, a little too high on some synthetic marijuana, turned himself in, looking for uh, medical attention, and uh, all the things that went along with that, and Rob Gronkowski, the injury report, the knee injection apparently, then they add the back issue to the injury report, he misses multiple practices. We're looking at this thing going, what is this Patriots team going to look like? And all the while, I told you what my only concern was. My only real concern was the offensive line and protecting Tom Brady. That really was the only thing I was coming into this game saying, If you can't fix that, you're not going to win. Tom Brady has a high ankle sprain coming in, so even more so, you need to protect him, right? Even more so, because he might not be, and look, Brady's been fairly mobile here this season, for the most part. You know, he's done some things with his feet that, you know, I'm not so sure we've seen a lot from him in the past. At least, he's done some things to be able to give himself some more time. I'm not trying to say he's Aaron Rodgers. But uh, certainly when your quarterback has a high ankle sprain, it's a concerning injury, especially when you do not have the proper protection up front. In the last couple weeks, heading into this playoff game, the Patriots just had not, they did not have the proper protection with that offensive line. So that was my concern. All the other things, you know, the Gronk injury, the Chandler Jones stuff, I mean... The bottom line was this. You knew you were getting Edelman back. And again, even when you get Edelman back, you don't know what you're going to get from him. Uh, but but with all those things, come on. We can go back and forth on who's the most valuable piece of this Patriots team. Gronk, Edelman, Gronk, Edelman. Who is it? It's really Tom Brady. I mean, let's you know, let's not forget that ultimately the most valuable piece in this Patriots team is Tom Brady. I don't if Gronk's not on the field or if he's not 100% or Edelman's not in the field he, or he's not 100%. If they don't have Tom Brady, they have no chance. If they have Brady, they still have a shot. So that was my biggest concern, and when you get into this game, it was evident immediately, immediately, how big Julian Elliman was to this team and the protection up front, how important he was to that offensive line that I was concerned about because you get a third and 10 in the opening minutes on the first drive right away. Who do they go to? Julian Edelman, first down, over the middle, And it was that point where I think here in New England, I can't speak for everybody, I can only speak for myself, but I'd like to think that I'm right there with you on the same level as you. Would you sit there and live and die with this team? Uh, When they get that first down over the middle to Edelman on the first drive in the opening minute, opening minutes of this game on third and ten, there was a collective sigh of relief, I think, right? Like, all right, that looks that looks good. That looks right. That looks normal. I think this team's back. I think that's all we really needed to see to know that this wasn't going to look like the Miami game in Week 17. This wasn't going to look like 
uh, the Jets game in week 16. It wasn't going to look like that Eagles game. Okay? It wasn't. This was going to look more normal when you talk about the Patriots offense and what they would be able to do to move the chains downfield. You move the ball downfield. You, you know, you score a touchdown, right, to Rob Gronkowski right away. You take a 7-0 lead on an 11-play, 80-yard drive, and all seemed right in the world. You're at home, Gillette Stadium. Uh, you know, I, I told you. When I look at the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm not overlooking them. I thought it would be a tough game. I gave my official prediction on WEI on Friday night with regards to a score. I mean, I told you all week the Patriots would win. I told you it would be close. I told you they would cover the five points on this show Friday, but I never really gave you a score. On Friday night on WEI, I gave you a score. Now, uh, I told you the Patriots would win by seven. I didn't necessarily get the score right, but I was close. 23-16 to 16 was my score. The Patriots win at 27-20. They, my point was they're going to win this game by 7. And, and I think that's given the proper respect to Kansas City. I really do. I wasn't going in thinking this was going to be a blowout because I look at the Chiefs and I said, hey, this is a team that won 11 straight. That counts for something. I don't care who you're playing. You know, you're in the NFL. I know this has been a sloppy season. I know we've seen some bad teams and some awful weeks and some terrible decision-making a lot this season with a lot of teams, a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of receivers, a lot of coaches. We've seen bad decisions up and down. And as ugly as this season has been, as bad as some teams have been, some, some wanted to get into the strength of schedule argument when they looked at the Kansas City Chiefs 11-game win streak. And I told you, I didn't want to do that because that... That's a little outrageous to me. When you win 11 straight games in the NFL, please, you win 11 straight games in the NFL. That's a, that, that's, to me, that's an amazing accomplishment. And I told you, I, I think Alex Smith is an underrated quarterback. He does not put up the, the sexy fantasy football numbers, but he doesn't have to. Because the one thing Kansas City does that keeps them in games, and I told you would keep them in this game at Gillette Stadium against the Patriots Saturday, was that they do not turn the ball over. They do not turn the ball over. Kansas City doesn't do it. And I told you, it, it, it could be that one that one turnover in this game that could cost either the Patriots the game or the Chiefs the game. That's it. It's that one turnover, I think. That one turnover would cost somebody the game. And that's exactly what happened in this one. It's exactly what happened. Because the Patriots won the turnover battle one to nothing. One to nothing. Patriots have a 14 to 6 lead to go into the second half. Now, it was a little weird because the Patriots didn't get the ball to begin the second half. The Chiefs did. Patriots, uh, they got the ball first. And, you know, we're not used to seeing that. Kansas City, what? They won the toss and they deferred, right? So Kansas City gets the ball in the second half and they're driving down. Look like a good drive for them. It's this is a ball game. It's 14 to 6. Kansas City trailed 14 to 6. They get it down to the page inside the Patriots 40-yard line. And then Niall Davis. Niall Davis with a fumble at the Patriots 30-yard line. Chandler Jones is the guy that came from behind, knocked that ball loose. Dante Hightower recovered at the Patriots 30 on that opening drive of the second half. Patriots recover the ball, they drive downfield, they get a touchdown to Rob Gronkowski, that little pump fake on the left side, open in the corner of the end zone, the, the front corner of the end zone, 
and uh, the Patriots take a 21-6 lead. And at that point, even though I know this game finished 27-20 and there were some things that happened late that maybe you were sort of biting your fingernails, like it was getting a little too close to comfort at the end, but uh, in re- it really, when the Patriots recovered that turnover and then got the points off turnovers, drove down, got a touchdown, and took a 21-6 lead, that was the difference That was the difference in this game. The one turnover, something Kansas City does not do. You get them to turn the football over on a drive. It looked like Kansas City was going to score at least a field goal. So you're talking about, let's say Kansas City doesn't fumble that ball. uh, They kick the field goal. All of a sudden, you're looking at a 14-9 game, which is tight. And we talk about momentum, all right, I mean, Kansas City's building something, they're staying in the game, they're doing exactly what we thought, the people who thought this would be a ball game, Kansas City would have been doing exactly what they wanted to do, drive it downfield, you know, eat up a lot of the clock with their possession time, sometimes, you know, it's not always going to result in a touchdown, but you kick a field goal, you play good defense, you don't turn the ball over, you keep it close, and when you get to the to the fourth quarter, you anything can happen. Special teams, maybe you force the Patriots to turn the ball over. You keep this game close. What did Albert Breer say last Friday on this show from the NFL Network? Albert Breer, NFL Network, joined me. He put it perfectly. He said, Kansas City needs to take this game into a dark alley. And right before Chandler Jones stripped that ball loose, that's exactly what they were doing. Even though the Patriots had a 14-6 lead, Kansas City... They were absolutely, they were in position to kick a field goal to make that a five-point game in the second half. And they were in position to take that game into a dark alley. You know what happened? They did exactly what they don't do. The Patriots, you know, the Kansas City did exactly what they don't do. They fumbled the football. They lost the football. They turned the ball over. And the Patriots forced that turnover. And Chandler Jones strips the ball loose. They recover. And then, of course, you get the momentum. You're at home. You drive it downfield. And you throw the second touchdown pass to Rob Gronkowski. You take a 21-6 lead. And really, that was, at that point in time, I don't think there was anybody that was saying, or thinking Kansas City was going to win that game. That was the difference. And if you want to talk about certain players, who were the difference with the Patriots' offense? Well, you know, for all the things that we've said and the good things and the great things that we've said about Rob Gronkowski, right, and he's a beast. There's no question. He had two touchdowns in this game. I I don't, you know, he didn't look like there were really any lingering effects from Whatever was going on with his knee or his back, I mean, um, you know, I think that's something, the things that the team takes care of, and maybe we turn it into something that it isn't outside of Gillette, possibly, but uh, he looked fine. Again, two touchdown receptions, and the Patriots certainly need him, but when you talk about who's more valuable, it's a dangerous conversation because you don't want to make it look like you're knocking Gronk, because you can't. Gronk's an animal. He's a beast. You do need him. But when you want to take one or the other, and you see just how bad the Patriots' offense was without Edelman, okay, without Edelman, um, they just couldn't move the chains. And you get Edelman back, and as I told you, immediately, first drive, third and 10, over the middle, Julian Edelman, first down. 
made all the difference in the world. And everything just felt right. And I think the confidence came along with that. Brady was getting the ball out quick. That helps the offensive line. Not only not only with their protection and maybe they don't have to, you know, hold guys off for a full five, six, seven Mississippi, right? And seven Mississippi, they don't have to do that anymore. Brady can dump the ball off, can get it out quick. I think Edelman's presence opens things up for Gronk on a play like that touchdown. And also, you know, if Kansas City, what they're going to all of a sudden do now is they have to account for those things and they can't necessarily send send everybody against Brady and, and try to blitz Brady all night. They can't do that. So uh, if the Chiefs were going to get any sacks in this game, they were going to have to be covered sacks, and it just wasn't happening. Patriots spread them out all game long. They didn't run the football at all. And it really, you have to, if you really want to dig deep into why they had so much success offensively Saturday, because of Julian Edelman. And he looked fine to me. For all, you know, the reports that said he, he had to change the way he was going to cut. I, don't, I told you, I don't know what the fuck that means. How do you, what do you mean? You use your legs, you use your feet. How do you change the way you cut? He looked, he looked great. And the Patriots, they benefited from his presence and his performance, and they moved to football. Brady was not sacked once in this game, and they looked like, and I'm sure they probably felt like, the Patriots' offense of old. So the Patriots, with a 27-20 win, they go to their fifth straight AFC championship game. I mean... Look, I said it last year as they went into their fourth straight. I said, this is amazing. Just the fact that they're going back to this game. Do you know how many, do you know how many cities, do you know how many fans around the NFL would, would love for their team just to get to the playoffs? <laughs> just to get to the playoffs. Just to, get to, just to get a wild card spot for five straight years. Meanwhile, the Patriots have permanent real estate in the AFC title game. In the final four of the NFL. So when we look around and we wonder why people hate the Patriots so much or, or hate Tom Brady, it's because as as their teams are done for the season and as they sit home and try to find some sporting event to watch on TV in late January, every single year they have to watch the Patriots while their teams are home. I mean, that's how you that's how you build hatred for something. Jealousy, hatred, that's how you build it. When you can't get your team even into the playoffs for five straight years, and every every year in late January, when there's four teams left in the NFL, the Patriots are one of those four teams. I mean, here they are again, fifth straight AFC championship. It's it's amazing. It's it's the type of run that you can't take for granted because you, you never know if the. First of all, I do know. Actually, I do know this. We're probably not going to see this again in this town. And and I don't know that we're going to see a team, at least in my lifetime, a team that's going to be this dominant and and get to the conference championship five straight years. And as we look at this specific Patriot team, as they go up against the Denver Broncos in Denver, uh, I think the Patriots have a very good chance to get to the Super Bowl. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to all that and, and what this game is going to look like and uh, predictions. We got all week here. But, you know, embrace the fact that you got another AFC championship game, fifth straight, and it's pretty wild when you really think about it and try to put yourself in the shoes of someone from, let's say, I mean, let's say Cincinnati. Let's say Cincinnati. 
a, a team that was just in the playoffs, looking to get their first playoff win since 91. They can't get a playoff win since 91. And here are the Patriots just going, oh, another AFC championship? All right, we're back. We're back. <laughs> like almost As if there was any doubt as well. I mean, we, we kind of knew they were going to go to this game. You get that first round by. You're looking at potential opponents. Uh, was there anybody who was saying Kansas City was going to win? I mean, you had some national analysts wanting to go there. I, it's mind-boggling to see some people on national TV who are supposed to know what they're talking about pick the Chiefs to beat the Patriots at Gillette Stadium. Right? I mean, don't I don't want I don't want you out there going. Well, let's get crazy. You're supposed to be an analyst. Tell me, you know, deal with reality. Reality was the Patriots were not going to lose this game. I know there were concerns. We went over those concerns. But, you know, I, 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 I was given the ch- Look, I was not overlooking the Chiefs. I was giving them a chance. But deep down inside, I told you the Patriots were going to win this. And they're going to the AFC Championship. And the fact that they're going to five straight now is remarkable. It is. And uh, I think they're going to the Super Bowl. I, I think they're going to another Super Bowl. And you know what's funny? And I'll get to the other games in a minute. But I, I, I did it today because I wanted to see. Because going into the divisional weekend, Arizona was the favorite to win the Super Bowl. And, you know, you, you, I told you, they, you can check off all the things that they have. They have everything. They have the quarterback. They have the receiving core. They have the running back who can run and catch out of the backfield. They have the offensive line. They got the secondary that makes big plays. They have the pass rush. They they got the they got aggressive play calling. They have it all, man. Arizona's got it all. You watch that game against Green Bay and you start to think, if there's one thing maybe they don't have, it's a very confident quarterback in the playoffs. Because Carson Palmer just he hasn't won there. Now he won on Saturday night, even though at times it didn't look great for him. Right, And he did hurt his hand a couple weeks ago, and I think they might be downplaying that injury a little bit. I think, I think he's hurting with that hand. There were some throws that he made I'm going, it doesn't look right. Those throws don't look right. Why would he throw it like that? Carson Palmer doesn't throw the ball like that. So there might be something going on there. It's something to watch for, but I think because of that, and I think because the way Arizona looked on Saturday night, and it wasn't as convincing a win as I think a lot of us thought it was going to be in Arizona against Green Bay. They won, but it wasn't as convincing. It was in overtime. I think because of that and the way Carson Palmer looked, he wasn't as his dominant self. The Cardinals are no longer favorites to win Super Bowl 50. The Patriots are. The Patriots are the favorites. Then you get Carolina. Then you get Arizona. And then Denver. Vegas is saying has the... Uh, worst chance to win the Super Bowl out of the four teams left in the NFL. But I'm looking at this, and I happen to see... I, I happen to see a, a couple other things that are on here. And one of them, and I'm talking about the futures, the future bets, future picks. They have Super Bowl 51. And I had to check it out because they have the favorites to see who's going to win Super Bowl 51. And right now, forget about 50. The Patriots are favorites to win Super Bowl 50. The Patriots are also, as of right now, as of today, Monday, January 18th, the Patriots are also favored to win Super Bowl 51 next year. So, I mean, they're favorites to win back-to-back Super Bowls and to three-peat. Now, 
Honestly, I don't think it's crazy. Now, right behind the Patriots are the Seahawks. The Seahawks who lost to the Panthers yesterday. I'll get into that game in a minute. But I think I think that's about right. I mean, I think the Seahawks, the Seahawks have a couple runs in them with Russell Wilson, with that defense, with some of the youth that they have on that team. I don't know if they're going to pot waves with Marshawn Lynch or not, but but maybe they will. I mean, I don't, I don't know that it would be the craziest thing in the world that they do. But, I mean, I do think that that's about right. The Seahawks, uh, right behind the Patriots, uh, when we talk about favorites for next year's Super Bowl, then you get the Steelers, okay, Packers, all right. They have Bengals there in the top five. I'm not sure how I feel about that. They actually have the Cowboys up there pretty high. I, I, I tell you, that's not crazy. But they have the Patriots favored to win next year's Super Bowl along with this year's Super Bowl. That's what it is today. And I don't think that's crazy. I really don't. I don't think it's crazy. You know, one thing I got to mention, too, as I look at the futures, props, all these bets, they have, here's what they have listed. This year's Super Bowl favorite, uh, possible Super Bowl matchups, the early Super Bowl line, right, which right now early Super Bowl line is AFC as a one-and-a-half-point dog. Um, Super Bowl 50 MVP, the favorite is Tom Brady, Cam Newton right behind him. Tell you what, Edelman, Edelman's down there. It's not, it wouldn't be a bad pick to put some money on Edelman right now, Super Bowl MVP. But they got all these futures, mostly just about the playoffs. And then there's one that's not, there's only one that's not really any type of playoff or Super Bowl related. And it's, it's the RG3 prop. I thought this was pretty funny, so I need to mention it quickly. RG3. Which team will Robert Griffin III play for next season? And in parentheses, it says, must be on the week one roster. The Cowboys are the favorite here, with the, along with the Texans. The Cowboys and the Texans are the favorite to see what team RG3 plays for next year. I think, it's, I think that's kind of a crazy prop, given the fact that the Redskins won the division and went to the playoffs, and I thought had a shot to, to win a playoff game at home. They had a home playoff game. Kirk Cousins, I thought, played great down the stretch. You had a tight end in Jordan Reed that established himself as a big-time player in this league. And I think the Redskins, uh, you know, they could do some things on defense. I, I This offseason, I think the Redskins will be right back there next year with Kirk Cousins under center. But, I mean, he lo- look, RG3, we could talk about maybe concussion. He lost his job because of that. RG3 lost his job because he sucks. So why are we going along with the RG3 prop? I think if you want a prop, you should have, where will Andy Dalton play next year? I think that should be a bet. I'm not so sure that the Bengals, I mean, look, A.J. McCarron showed me an awful lot. I'd have to seriously consider going with him. I really would. But those are the props that are out there. I had to mention the RG3 prop right now because the favorites to get RG3 and have him on the week one roster next year, the Cowboys and the Texans. I'm going to stick with playoffs, though, because that's what this is all about right now, and RG3 is not in the playoffs. And uh, the Patriots are. They win on Saturday. They're going to their fifth straight AFC championship. Uh, Who will they play? Well, they'll play the Denver Broncos in Denver. The Broncos, the number one seed. This game was yesterday. uh, Last night, it was the second game of the day yesterday on Sunday and the Broncos win it. They beat the Steelers 23-16 to thanks to a late touchdown. And the things that happened in the Broncos win and the Patriots win were, in my opinion, 
eerily similar when you talk about the difference in the game without really mentioning specific specific talents, specific names, and specific players when you talk about situations. Similar situations helped each team gain momentum and win them the game. Because I mentioned the turnover battle in the Patriots-Kansas City game. Patriots won at one nothing. That Niall Davis fumble at the Patriots' 30-yard line at the beginning of the second half, and the Patriots turn it into points. They turn it into a touchdown, and that was really all she wrote. The Broncos game, they would. The Broncos are trailing 13 to 12. Pittsburgh had a 13 to 12 lead. All right, and what happens in the second half? Toussaint fumbles at the Denver 30. Pittsburgh is driving. Toussaint fumbles the ball. Demarcus Ware, he recovers. And all of a sudden, the Broncos drive downfield for a touchdown. They get the two-point conversion. And it, it was a 13-12 game. You, they get the fumble. All of a sudden, the Broncos lead it 20-13. So that was the turnover battle. one nothing. The Broncos won the turnover battle, and that was that. And they win the game. They drive downfield. They get a touchdown. Uh, and they take a 20-13 lead where it could have been you get a field goal there. The Steelers would be leading 16-12. to 12. Who knows what happens to this game, right? Steelers, maybe they get a touchdown. You're talking, all of a sudden, it's 20-12. to 12. So, and where's the momentum at that point of the game, right? Nope. Crowd gets fired up. Uh, building's rocking. And uh, the Broncos, their offense at that point was feeling good when they get the football back and they have a chance to drive. And they did just that. But, um... Look, the Broncos won. They win with their defense, and I told you when we talked about potential AFC champion opponents, AFC championship opponents last week for people like myself who predicted the Patriots to win, it was either going to be at home against Pittsburgh or in Denver, and I told you I'll take the home game. I'll take the home game any day of the week, and forget about Pittsburgh being banged up. I mean, Big Ben in this game right away, first play of the game, right? Play action deep. They even had a fourth and one, I think, they went for it. They play action deep. Roethlisberger was throwing the ball deep downfield. I'm sure he wasn't feeling great. His arm wasn't feeling great. But, um, you know, this, this game yesterday between Pittsburgh and Denver, I, I think that you saw Denver and their defense at certain points in times, can make big plays, can make big stops, and, and that's exactly what happened. Now, Ben Roethlisberger didn't have a terrible game. He just he didn't throw any touchdown passes. 339 yards in the air. So uh, those are actually some pretty good numbers, 24 of 37. He just didn't throw any touchdowns. On the other end, Peyton Manning, 21 of 37 for 222 yards. Peyton Manning in this game, you know what's annoying? Annoying is going on Twitter, especially here in New England. Look, I'm a Patriot fan. Obviously, it's my team. This is my town. I get the Peyton Manning hate. A lot of the times, I'm right there with you. But yesterday, it's like, I could. what are we doing? What are we doing here? Uh, we have to acknowledge, we all know what Peyton Manning is at this stage of his career. All right, we get it. Everybody knows. He's not the same guy. But we have to acknowledge that in the first half, like, it's not crazy analysis. It's not wrong analysis to say that the Broncos receivers were dropping footballs left and right in the first half. They were. They couldn't catch shit 
in the first half, right? It was hitting guys in the chest. And people say, well, they were ducks. I mean, they weren't that bad. And even if they weren't perfect spirals, you're in the NFL. It's the playoffs. If a ball hits you in the hands or hits you in the chest, you should fucking catch it. All right? You think if those things were happening for the Patriots in the first half, which, again, they kind of were. Edelman had dropped a couple big passes. But uh, they just kept going on. I mean, we weren't, like, what were we doing? We weren't blaming that on the quarterback. We wouldn't blame it on Brady. If, if the Patriots go into the AFC Championship and they're dropping passes the way the Broncos receivers are dropping passes in the first half of, of yesterday's game, we wouldn't be blaming the quarterback. We'd blame the receivers. When LaFell drops passes, who do we blame? LaFell. I don't blame Brady. Uh, yesterday, to say that the Broncos receivers in the first half yesterday were dropping passes is not an exaggeration. They were dropping a crazy amount of passes. It was almost embarrassing for them and their offense. And I think that's something that Denver does. I mean, I've seen them a lot this season drop some drop some passes. And uh, they have to fix that. But once you get past the drops, it is clear that the Broncos, look, they can run the football. All right? And outside of running the football, should you be scared of their pass game? No. And when the Patriots play them, I think Bill Belichick will come up with a scheme to, to, to get Peyton Manning to have the happy feet and make a couple bad passes. But what I do think, just a real quick analysis before I get to the NFC, the AFC Championship is going to come down to what I told you Patriots-Chiefs would come down to and even Broncos-Steelers what it ended up coming down to. The turnover battle. You can't turn the ball over. And I think that you could see in this Denver Patriots game if you lose a turnover battle by one, that's it. You're going to lose the game. Whether it, is, whether it becomes a field position game after that or, or whatever it is. Whatever the situation and the type of turnover it is, you, you, can't, you can't turn the ball over. If the Patriots turn the ball over in Denver, even once, that could be the difference in the game. If the Patriots can protect the ball, it's a low-scoring game, you can force Peyton Manning to make one bad mistake, I think you win it. But, you know, Denver's offense does not scare me. Their defense, I told you, going in with the options that you had, playing at home against Pittsburgh or going to Denver. I told you, I'll take the home game any day of the week against Pittsburgh, regardless of what Pittsburgh looks like. They had no Antonio Brown in this one, so it hurt them. Uh, But again, even with no Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger threw for 339 yards. I would expect Brady to be able to throw for at least 300 in the AFC Championship. But still, at home against Pittsburgh or in Denver against one of the top defenses in the league. Again, not not worried about Denver's offense. Worried about their defense. It's a worrisome situation. Top defenses in the league at home uh, are some of the tougher teams to beat in the playoffs. And while I think the Patriots should win, if they don't turn the ball over, all you need is that one bad play, that one bad pass, that one little floater, that one time the quarterback gets hit, that one time maybe they do hand the ball off, and the lack of, uh, you know, Steven Jackson's lack of reps this year, maybe he loses to football. Things that could happen. One bad mistake against a defense like that in their building could end your season. And that's why... The situation of going to Denver, to me, is much more worrisome than having to play a Pittsburgh Steelers team, especially at home. You could tell me you're going to Pittsburgh. I'd say, 
And let's go to Pittsburgh. They have one of the worst secondaries in football. You go to Pitt, and that's fine. But that game would have been at Gillette. That's the situation I would have rather had. The home game, it's an old brand to me. Going to Denver, while I do think the Patriots can win it, this is an early analysis here. Uh, it, it's a worrisome situation. There's no question. I don't, I don't feel phenomenal going in. I don't feel bad. But, you know, I, I, I don't come in. I don't think I come into this game. I don't think I will. I mean, we have all week to think about it. You know, you get the knee-jerk reactions. You're feeling good about this Patriots team right now. I can't believe we got a week. I wanted the Patriots to show up to Denver last night, WWE style. Grab the mic, take over the, uh, the, the, the speaker system at mile high and say, let's do this right now, <laughs> right? Let's do this right now. now that's, that's not realistic. We got to wait a week. Sunday, 3 o'clock Eastern time, 1 o'clock Mountain time, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, they'll do it again. If you line the quarterbacks up against the wall, I'm taking Tom Brady. It's not even close. I'm not concerned about Denver's offense, but their defense in their building is a, is a worrisome situation to be in. Not to say I think the Patriots are going to lose, but I don't think I'm going to be sitting there pounding my chest going into this one, thinking that we're going to roll, this is going to be a rout, because Peyton, because that's what people are going to do. They're going to look at Peyton Manning. We get it. I get it. Look, he doesn't have it. Don't You can't listen to Phil Simms and Jim Nance pump up Peyton Manning. I mean, I think you have to go. What Mike Tomlin said after the Steelers game yesterday, after the Steelers lost to Denver, Mike Tomlin, I think, put it a perfect, phrased it perfectly when it comes to Peyton Manning. He said, look, Peyton Manning is the ultimate play caller. That's why they played him. I told you that all week. When Peyton Manning came in that week 17 game against San Diego, you know, Brock Osweiler couldn't pick up a blitz at that point up, and, uh, up until that point if his life depended on it. Peyton Manning come in, he's changing the blitz. He's changing the run plays. And, and Mike Tomlin pointed that out. He said, look, they ran the football well, but Peyton Manning can read a defense. Peyton Manning is going to change that play. He's going to change the side the run's going to. He's going to change the blocking scheme on the fly. He's going to change that all at the line of scrimmage. He's the ultimate play caller. He doesn't need to have the strongest arm in the league to win a playoff game at home. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to be the most accurate passer in the history of the league or even in the playoffs this year to win a playoff game at home. Not when you call plays the way Peyton Manning and read a defense the way he does, but really the biggest reason is you really, when you say that, that Peyton Manning's the ultimate play caller, you're really praising Denver's defense. Again, that's what it's all about. So, I understand Peyton Manning does not have the skills at this stage of his career uh, that any quarterback currently in the playoffs has. He's just, he's obviously, if you were to pick him up, pick him against the wall right now based on skill level, Peyton Manning would be the last one on the wall out of the four quarterbacks that are left in the NFL playoffs. I don't need to, I don't need, you don't need to tell me this on Twitter. Like, I get it, all right? It's... It's, it's a little too much yesterday during this game. We understand. Uh, but the Broncos, you know, they went with defense. And some people might try to turn that into a negative thing, into a bad thing. I'm hesitant to turn that into a bad thing. And if I'm a Bronco fan and I had that defense, I think I'd be feeling pretty good about it. I'd be feeling pretty good about it. And if I'm a Bronco fan, I'd be saying, look, if we don't turn the ball over, 
then if we can run the football and we don't turn it over, we're giving our defense a chance to win with the top defense in the league at home. We'll take our chances. The Patriots, on the other end, I think they have to feel good about their offense. They have to feel good that Edelman is back. They have to feel good about what the offensive line is when Edelman's back. They have to feel good about Gronk and some things that open up for him with Edelman back. I think the concern for the Patriots is not offensively. concern for the Patriots, I think, is defensively. Because the linebacker core for the Patriots got banged up. Jamie Collins left the game. Hightower, Mayo, what's going on with them? Because the key to beating Denver, the key to maybe creating that one turnover in this game that's going to be the difference, in my opinion, is Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower. The way Bill Belichick uses them to disguise the blitz, to create confusion. I think you saw some things that Pittsburgh did, maybe send in a safety blitz or a corner blitz when Peyton doesn't see it coming, can't read it, confuse him, disguise it. it I think it all comes back to what to, to, to Hightower Collins right there in the middle of the field. And what Peyton's reading from them and the confusion that those two guys can, can create, we've seen it before. So, um, you know, that's, as a Patriot fan... I'm concerned about that. I need to know what their status is. I need to know how they're feeling, what they're going to look like, if they're going to play. Those are the key pieces to me. But uh, it's going to be a great one. I, I, I'm not sitting there predicting a blowout. I do think the Patriots are going to win. I think it's going to be tight. I, I think it's, once again, one turnover in that game. Could be a one turnover game. You got to win that battle. You got to be the team that doesn't turn the ball over. The only way, in my opinion, the Patriots lose the AFC Championship game in Denver, the only way they lose is if they turn the ball over. That's it. You know what Denver's offense is. If you can protect the football, if you're the Patriots, I think Brady could still, he'll be able to throw because you look back at this. It's Look, it's a rematch from Week 12. The Broncos won 30-24. Osweiler was throwing the ball deep downfield in this one. The snow, the snow was, was on the ground. I mean, it was building towards the end of that game. You went to overtime. The Broncos got the run uh, to win it after the Patriots went, what, three and out in OT? But at the same time, you look at that game, and uh, there are uh, there are some big differences here in, in this playoff game, this AFC Championship next Sunday from the Week 12 game. For the Patriots alone, Grunk got hurt in that other game. He left. You had no Edelman. You had no Amendola. They, the Patriots were still in the early stages of trying to get used to not having Deion Lewis with some big plays out of the backfield. You had no Jamie Collins. He was sick. Scott Chandler had to be targeted 11 times in that game. Scott Chandler might not sniff the field on Sunday. He probably won't, right? So, you know, all the differences from that Week 12 game to this game... I, I think benefit the New England Patriots more than they benefit the Denver Broncos. And and ultimately will ultimately will probably be the difference maker unless the Patriots turn the ball over. That's the only way the Patriots lose the AFC championship. Uh and once again, I, I I'm not sitting there pounding my chest saying this is gonna be a blowout, the Patriots are gonna roll. Why if people are saying that, their reasoning for it is. Tom, uh, their reasoning when they say that, they say, Tom Brady's better than Peyton Manning at this stage of his career. I say, well, okay, I agree with that. But just because Tom Brady's better than Peyton Manning doesn't mean the Patriots are going to roll. 
Tom Brady has to play the best defense in football in that defense's building. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to be this walk in the park that some, as of yesterday and last night, as they watched Denver win that game, and it wasn't a, really a convincing win, I, 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 I don't see the result with regards to how how close or how close it won't be in the AFC Championship. I don't see that being the, the same. I think the Patriots will win. I think it's going to be a lot closer than, than some people uh, uh, are out there on social media or even on radio, TV, say that it's going to be. But, you know, we got a whole week to look at this, to take a look at the injury reports, to go over my biggest concern now with the Patriots is their linebacker core and their defense because I think that's the key here to beating Peyton Manning or at least making his day a little bit more difficult and creating that one turnover that could and should be able to win you that game on Sunday in the AFC Championship. So, Dan, you get to the NFC Championship, and uh, we saw the Cardinals on Saturday night. They won. They beat the Packers 26-20 in overtime. Larry Fitz took over this game. Carson Palmer looked shaky at times. He got the coin flip in overtime, which was just... Typical NFL at this stage of of where the officiating in this season is. The officiating all year long has been brutal. It's been horrible. And uh, you get Cleet Blakeman. He's flipping that coin in overtime. It's a playoff game. You got overtime. And the way it gets to that point with Aaron Rodgers throwing the deep the ball downfield is, once again, as lucky as you're ever going to get as a quarterback. And it's happened now a couple times for Green Bay. Just a Hail Mary, deep downfield, holy shit type of play. Can't believe they did it again. Well, they did it again. They go to overtime. You get the coin flip. They flip the coin. Cardinals win it, win the flip. They say, we're going to receive, obviously. And then Aaron Rodgers is standing there and he goes, no, 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 it didn't flip. It didn't flip. And Blakeman says, the ref says, you're right. You guys are right. It didn't flip. And he explains to the Cardinals. The Cardinals are like, what do you mean it didn't flip? Now, I'm sitting there going, I'm watching it uh, with my buddies uh, at my buddy's apartment. We're all going, what do you mean it didn't flip? You have one job as the ref in that spot. You're holding the coin. You have one job. You got to flip the fucking coin. Like, you flip it. How difficult is that? If you gave me a coin right now, and I, <laughs> any size, doesn't matter, and I threw it up in the air, I don't I think I could try not to flip it and I don't think I don't think I could get it to not flip. You could give me a hundred tries. I could throw a coin up in the air before it hits the ground as I'm standing up and I don't think I could get it to not flip. I think it's just an automatic the coin flips when you throw it in the air. I don't know how this happened. It didn't flip. I tell you what the best thing in the world happened to this official was when he flipped it again, when he flipped it again, the Cardinals want it. Can you imagine if the Packers want it? They get the football and they score a touchdown. Can you imagine? And and then Cardinals don't even get the ball because the ref threw the coin up in the air, but it didn't flip. So he said, "Ah, eh, you want it, but we got to flip it again because the the coin didn't flip." Oh man, that would have been that would be quite the storyline today, and the NFL would look terrible. I mean, they've looked bad all year long. They've looked bad since Deflategate, and uh. You know, it, it, and I, I, I know I kind of, when I mentioned the flake eight now, you say, 
Danny, you didn't mention the Flakegate versus HGHK with Peyton Manning. And that's because I know we're going to get to that later in the week. I'm not going to do that right now. We'll do that later in the week. And in fact, I might just mention it. The HGH, Peyton Manning stuff, I've already been all over that topic. It's evident that they're not going to, the national media, ESPN, they're not going to get into that story. So what, what's really the point? This is a game, that stuff is all meaningless to what this game is going to be on Sunday. So I don't even know how much I'm going to go there. But if I do go there, it won't be till later in the week. But when you go back to the Flakegate, you know, the NFL has looked awful since then. They've had a terrible season this year. And they've had a couple moments now with coin flips. You got to, I mean, what, what do you mean you don't flip the coin? How did it not flip? And I think I read something after the game where they said, in fact, the coin doesn't have to flip. I, who knows? But the best thing that happened in the NFL and the officials and that official, it was Blakeman, right? Cleet Blakeman, I believe. But whoever it was, the best thing that happened to him was that the Cardinals won it the second time. They actually flipped it. Because, I mean, that would be ugly. Ugly. That, that would be the biggest story today. That would this steal the spotlight out of Peyton versus Brady. Biggest story would be the coin flip. Coin gate. That's what it would be. But the NFL officials lucked out on that one. Um, you get the Cardinals get the ball. They score a touchdown in overtime. They win it. 26-20, it wasn't really that convincing, wasn't as convincing as I thought it was going to be. And uh, because of that, there's a where Arizona has, they got all the tools. They got everything. I told you what they got. They got everything. But as you watch Carson Palmer, I don't know if it's playoff confidence because he hadn't won and he lost his, his previous two games, even though you really only call it one loss because the first one, he threw one pass and his, his knee got taken out, and that was it. And then 2009 with Cincy, he couldn't win. So really only one loss. But still, I mean, you could call it lack of playoff experience, lack of playoff confidence because he never won a playoff game. It was either that or some type of hand injury that if you watch Carson Palmer towards the end of the regular season, he did suffer some type of hand injury. Late in the year. I don't know if it's a finger or a wrist or a thumb. I don't know what it is. And I don't know if that's exactly what affected him in this one on Saturday night. But there were moments that Carson Palmer did not look like the same guy. He didn't. And uh, someone like myself who looked at the Cardinals and said, I don't want to play him because they seemingly got everything. They got all the tools. I see Carson Palmer play like that. I start thinking to myself, maybe I do want to see him. And that might not be the only reason I think that because when you watch the Carolina Panthers in the first half of their game and their win over Seattle yesterday in Carolina, it's pretty evident that Carolina is the most dangerous team in the NFC to this point, right? It, it, they are. And... I think they're going to beat the Cardinals. I think Carolina's going to beat Arizona. Arizona now goes to Carolina for the NFC Championship next Sunday at 6.40. But Carolina scored 31 points in the first half. Now, they held on to beat the Seahawks 31-24 yesterday in Carolina. Seahawks made it interesting. Right to open the gate, right out of the gate in the second half. 
uh, the Seattle Seahawks, couple nice passes from Wilson, couple touchdowns early. You're thinking, wow, all right, they're in this game. I never, for one moment, I never thought that Seattle would come back all the way and win. But I think if you're a Panther fan, yeah, you should have some concern with the way the second half went and the fact that it looked like they shut it down. I mean, it looked like they were having, you know, they would take, they were already taking their pictures on the sideline, dabbing. Right? They shut it down, Carolina. And, you know, credit to Seattle a little bit, but Carolina did shut it down a little bit at the same time. And so that should be somewhat of a concern. But what I take away from that game, I'm just, I really do just take away the first half and what they look like. Because when Carolina doesn't shut it down, they, Cam Newton's making all the big throws, all the big throws. Their defense is making all the big plays. And the the pieces of Carolina that I would be most concerned with if the Patriots ended up playing them in the Super Bowl, it would be their defensive tack, Carolina's defensive tackles. Those guys were in Russell Wilson's face from, from the get-go to the point where Carolina, they get the big run early from Jonathan Stewart, they get the early touchdown, and then Seattle... They're two defensive tackles. They're in Russell Wilson's face. They force the interception. Keekley picks it off, takes it to the end zone. Carolina led 14-0. We weren't even five minutes into this game. The game was over at that point. Keekley picks it off. Those defensive tackles get to Russell Wilson. They get into the end zone 14-0. We're not even five minutes into this game yet. That game was over yesterday. Over. Over. And as much as you could knock Carolina for shutting it down at halftime or being concerned with that, mentality if you're a Panther fan I do think that's human nature I I really do think that's just human nature kicking in and I don't think there's anything you can do about it I don't I don't think there's anything you can do about that um here's the deal I'm gonna look at the first half and when I look at the first half of what the Panthers did and I look at Arizona's win over Green Bay uh, there I just don't think there's any way Arizona comes into Carolina and wins that ball game I don't think so my Super Bowl's Patriots, Panthers. Patriots, Panthers. Now, I tweeted something yesterday. I tweeted out, uh, <laughs> I tweeted the, unif- the Super Bowl uniform. I didn't know people were going to get worked up about it. I mean, some of you people need to settle the fuck down, all right? Seriously, get a fucking life. You got to get a life. Like, you can't, you can't get worked up about a jersey uniform color tweet on a Sunday afternoon. If you are, you're a fucking loser. You need to figure it out. Like some dickhead tweets me, why is this even important? Like, it's, it's not important, you asshole. It's a, it's a fucking tweet about a jersey color and a uniform. Have fun with it. Don't take Twitter so seriously. Especially when it comes to uniforms. Okay? Get a life. I didn't know people were going to have the reaction. Because what I tweeted out was, Patriots, I, I wonder if Carolina, I tweeted this out at halftime of the Carolina-Seattle game. I said, I wonder if Carolina will choose to wear their home whites, because they choose to wear their white jerseys, white uniforms, at home in this game yesterday. I said, I wonder if Carolina will choose to wear their home whites against the Patriots in the Super Bowl, meaning the Patriots would wear their, their home blues. And I said, I, I would prefer that because I like the home blues. I just like that jersey color. 
I'd, I'd rather see the Patriots with the Blues than the Whites. You know, and you say something like that, and people come to you, they say, oh, the Patriots wore the Whites last year. They won the Super Bowl. They say, oh, Patriots wore the Blues against the Giants. They lost the Super Bowl. You know, people getting real concerned with the jersey color and superstition, this, that. And then there's people with, who made the logical argument? This was because this is now, you then start to get into factual stuff. And the factual stuff is, and I didn't know this. I apologize. I mean, I didn't, I, I don't even know why, why this is the case. Because the game is in San Francisco, which is the home of an NFC team. But I guess it, it changes every year. One year the AFC is the home team. The next year the NFC is the home team. Um, I thought, I figured the Carolina, if they make it since, you know, they only had one loss in the regular season, a better win percentage, they would be the home team. I mean, that would make sense to me. Apparently it's not. And I was told, and I had to look it up after, and they were right. In Super Bowl 50, because it goes year to year, the AFC is actually the home team, which would mean if the Patriots make it, they get to choose their jersey color, regardless of what the win percentage is with Carolina, regardless of where the game's being played, and it's being played in an NFC stadium, because it's already designated for the AFC to be the home team in Super Bowl 50, Patriots, if they make it, would get to pick their jersey color. So I then tweeted out, I said, well, my my point remains the same. I want to see them wear the, the home blues. And people got fired up about this. And uh, it's just a preference. <laughs> Relax. Just a per- personal preference. I'm the most superstitious person you've ever met in your fucking life. And I'm not going into this game thinking superstition. And here's why. And I tried to point it out. And I actually didn't think I was going to have to point this out. I just figured this was, if you know, the diehard Patriots fans getting so worked up about jersey color. I just figured some people would, would understand that the Patriots have won Super Bowls wearing their home blue jerseys. They beat the Rams. And, oh, yeah. They beat the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers wore their whites. The Patriots wore their blues. And my prediction was in the original tweet, Carolina Patriots in the Super Bowl, which brought me to my ultimate point of the tweet that some people just couldn't seem to wrap their brains around. I don't know if you're too hungover. I don't know if you celebrated too hard on Saturday night. I celebrated on Saturday night. I did. I celebrated. But I still was... Uh, level-headed enough and, and, and had a clear enough head on Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock in the afternoon to, to, to where I thought my point was getting across. The ultimate point was I was sort of being overly obnoxious about my prediction of the Super Bowl when we hadn't even got to the conference championship weekend yet. So I said, I think it's Carolina and New England, the Super Bowl. It was an overly obnoxious type on purpose, it was overly obnoxious tweet giving you my Super Bowl prediction. People didn't understand that. They took the jersey color. They took the superstitions. They tried to make it something it wasn't, which is, which I think is the standard on Twitter. I just didn't think on a Sunday afternoon when it comes to jersey color that would be the case. But it was, and some of you people need to settle the fuck down, okay? It's a jersey color. And oh, by the way, the Patriots have won the Super Bowl with the blue jerseys before, all right? And I wasn't even thinking that. And I just had to point out, and oh, by the way, an extra oh, by the way, they beat the Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl wearing the blue jerseys. If I'm Carolina, now obviously we know now Carolina doesn't get the choice. Maybe you, you know, if the Patriots wear their whites, you wear the all blacks in the Super Bowl, right? 
didn't when the Panthers remember the Patriots Panthers game was that last year or the year before you had that the game with uh, the call on Gronk late that final play in the end zone in that game didn't Carolina wear their black jerseys the all black in that game I don't know it, whether they did or didn't the the point of my tweet wasn't the color of the jerseys it was the fact that I'm thinking already Carolina and Patriots are going to see each other in the Super Bowl once again because I don't see Arizona going into Carolina and winning that game. And if the Patriots, since they're going to Denver, if the Patriots cannot turn the ball over, I don't see how the Patriots lose. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I think it's going to be close. I think we're going to be very nervous at points in times during this game because of how good Denver's defense is and because it's in their building. But if the Patriots don't turn the ball over, they will not lose to the Broncos. Win the turnover battle. And I think you win the game and go to the Super Bowl once again. So that's Divisional Weekend. Uh, that's what we had going. And um, all week long, I will react to any practice reports, injury reports, give you my full preview for both games on Wednesday, give you my picks for Conference Championship Weekend with the spread on Friday, and any other bits and pieces of news that we get throughout the week, I certainly will break it all down. But an exciting week of football in the divisional round. And we had some other stuff going on this weekend that was not football-related. And uh, Saturday night, see, I was watching this Arizona-Green Bay game, and I was watching it at a buddy's apartment, and we all were back and forth, in and out of the football game. and. The Deontay Wilder fight. Wilder is the heavyweight champ. At least he has one heavyweight belt. You know what happened to the other heavyweight belts? Tyson Fury, uh, he beat Klitschko, what, a month ago? Maybe two months ago? In that decision, they had that weird afternoon fight. The fight was in Germany. It played in the afternoon around here. And Tyson Fury was singing in the ring afterwards. He was singing Aerosmith. It was an, I played you the audio on the show. It was a, it was a weird, a weird scene, but the Tyson Fury has most of the belt. So he's the guy. And, um, when Deontay Wilder knocks his opponent out, and I'm not gonna lie. I don't even know who, who the hell he was fighting. I didn't know the guy he was fighting. He knocked him out in what? The ninth or the 10th round and Wilder retains his title. And I, I believe that Tyson Fury and Klitschko are going to fight again, right? Doesn't Klitschko with the rematch clause, aren't they going to fight again? I assume they're fighting again. I don't know for sure. But Fury, all of a sudden, as Deontay Wilde is giving his post-fight interview in the ring, Tyson Fury comes into the ring and gets in Deontay Wilde's face. Now, this isn't as, as Deontay Wilde pointed out and said, and I agree with him, this isn't the WWE. Like, you can't be doing that shit. And I thought it was a, I thought it was a clown move. Obviously, Tyson Fury, the fact that he's going to sing in the ring after winning the championship belts is kind of a clown. Uh, I, I want to see him and Wild to fight and, and unify the titles, right? But, I, you know, you just can't get in. You can't do that. If you're in the building, it's one thing. If Deontay Wilder wants to leave the ring, and you're sitting front row. And he wants to go down and get in your face. I mean, we've seen that. We've seen it in, in boxing. We've seen it. I've seen it mostly in the UFC. And I'll get to the UFC in a minute because there were some big fights last night. Mostly in the UFC. Like when McGregor won, I think, what, last year at the TD Garden? He knew he was going to fight Aldo for the title after that. 
Aldo was in like the third or fourth row. McGregor jumps out of the octagon and he goes and gets in Aldo's face. And that was cool. I'm okay with that. And he's like, I'm, he's in his face. He says, you're next. I told you, I think McGregor does a lot of things that are over the top and are sometimes eye-rolling because it's too much sometimes. It's a little too much. And sometimes I can't stand it and I just want him to shut the fuck up. I get it. I know what your, your stick is. I understand what you're doing. I understand that you're also an entertainer. I can, sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's too much. That moment there at the garden, when he jumped out of the octagon and got in Aldo's face, I don't think that was too much. I think that was pretty cool. But now if Aldo got in the octagon and got in McGregor's face, I wouldn't think that's cool. Like, that wouldn't be cool. Can't do that. Much like I don't think it's cool that Tyson Fury came into the ring Saturday night after Wilder retained his title and gets in his face. Especially if they're not going to fight next. I don't even think they're going to fight next. I think Wilder's got to fight Klitschko again, doesn't he? He should. He didn't really beat the champ. You got to beat the champ. I know you get round by round, who wins what, tally up the scores. Did, did, did Fury beat the champ? Eh, questionable. The way I look at it, you got to beat the champ. You got to beat him. I don't know that, that Fury actually beat him. He won. The scorecard, the decision showed that he won. The judges gave him the win. Did he beat the champ? He's got the belts. I think they need to fight again. Klitschko, Fury need to fight again. Um, and, and when I get to beating the champ, last night you get to UFC, someone who beat the champ and became the new champ. Dominic Cruz, congrats to Dominic Cruz, wins the Bantamweight Championship. He beats TJ Dillashaw last night, five-round decision at the TD Garden here in Boston in UFC Fight Night. It was on Fox Sports 1. It was a tremendous card. You got Anthony Pettis, who lost the fight before. Um, but the main event, the title's on the line. I mean, if you, if, if you don't know Dominic Cruz's story, you should go back. Dominic Cruz... So he's the champion. So I've got a UFC champ in studio here on the show. Dominic Cruz, he, he was doing some media rounds, and I got him in studio last this past November, back in November, a couple months ago. Sat right here next to me in studio. We did about, I want to say, 25 minutes to a half hour, and he was just chirping. He was talking shit about TJ Dillashaw. Now, it's something that Dominic Cruz did throughout the build-up to this fight. And to be honest with you, eh, I don't know how I have. I had someone in the UFC tell me uh, that this is before I even knew what I was getting into when Dominic Cruz was going to come in. I had someone tell me, someone that works for UFC, tell me that eh, Cruz he he runs his mouth to the point where there are guys that that don't like him. He rubs some people the wrong way, and he obviously rubbed T.J. Dillashaw the wrong way because if you watch the pregame, excuse me, the pre-fight last night, Dillashaw on Fox Sports One, he's doing the one-on-one sit-down. And, and he didn't like the antics. And you could tell just how fired up he was before this fight. These guys didn't like each other. And really, I think it was mostly Dominic Cruz was talking shit because that's what he does, right? He's going to run his mouth before a fight. And uh, on this show, I mean, he ran his mouth about a couple people, but really about TJ Dillashaw. And Dillashaw was fired up, didn't like it. You could see that literally as they're standing in the octagon last night right before the fight began. And um, I thought it was a great fight. I actually gave Cruz the first three rounds. Then I gave Dillashaw the last two. Now, Dillashaw affected Cruz with the leg kick, kicked him in the leg. 
Cruz said after that he hurt his foot going into the fight. I, I don't know. I mean, it looked like TJ Dillashaw was hurting that leg. And all you could think about at the time was, if you know Dominic Cruz's story, he never really lost the title. He had to give it up. He had to give that title up because he suffered so many injuries and he had multiple knee injuries, multiple knee surgeries. You, got, you give the, the guy credit. He battled back. Not many guys could battle back and look that good in the octagon right away, and he did. Uh, he was moving great out there, but then that fourth, fifth round, Dillashaw's kicking that leg. He didn't look good. He can say he suffered a foot injury going into the fight all he wants. I got to give some credit to Dillashaw and affecting the way that that Cruz was moving around in those final in that final round and a half, the final two rounds. I gave the last two rounds to Dillashaw, and I guess the way I look at it, I'm thinking to myself, before they even gave the decision to Cruz and named him the new, the new champion, before they did that, I said to myself, I had asked myself the question. I said, even though I would give it Cruz the first three, Dillashaw the last two, did Cruz beat the champ? To win the title, did Cruz beat the champ? I, I just put it this way. I, did, I, I couldn't convince myself that he did. I didn't have an overwhelming yes to my own question, did Cruz beat the champ, right? But the decision's the decision, and what it comes back to, and what I kept coming back to was, you know what? I don't know that I have an overwhelming yes to that question, but here's what I do know. He put up one heck of a fight. He, he didn't lose the fight. Cruz didn't lose the fight, for sure. He didn't lose it. And when you think about his, his history, his career, and the fact that, well, guess what? Cruz didn't actually lose the title in the first place. You could have looked at this fight as been, being champ versus champ, similar to how I think Aldo McGregor was. Now, we know McGregor finished Aldo in the, uh, early on, but, I mean, the situations, really, Dominic Cruz, I think, looks at himself in the mirror and says, man, I'm still the fucking champ of this division. I didn't actually lose to lose the belt. I just got injured. That was it. You know, so this kid, Dillashaw, can fight whoever he wants, you know, the guys I've been fighting, you know, top five in the division. And I never lost the belt. So maybe you could look at it and say all Cruz had to do was go into that fight and do just enough to not lose and you'd get the belt back. And, and I think that's how it played out. I mean, tremendous fight. I'd love to see it again. I hope it does. And uh, if it does, hopefully we can get Dominic Cruz some, somehow on this show again to talk about it. I, I was hoping maybe we could get him to stop in this morning here with the belt, but I'm sure he probably got the heck out of snowy, cold Boston this morning. Might even have left last night after he won that title. Uh, who knows, though, how bad that leg injury, or that foot injury, whatever it is, he was limping around afterwards bad. But congratulations to Dominic Cruz. I can officially say I've had a UFC champ in studio here on the Danny Picard Show. Again, he joined me November, late November, to talk about this fight and some other stuff afterwards, who he could be fighting after, and he was talking a whole lot of shit. And uh, I loved it at the time, but I can understand how maybe other fighters... I loved it at the time because it was my show. It was on my, uh, my podcast. I can understand how some other fighters don't like it, but what I do hope... I do hope to see a rematch between Cruz and Dillashaw. That's for sure. So that's what we had this weekend, an exciting weekend for fighting, an exciting weekend in football. And now this will be the longest week that we've had 
in a while during the football season. One week of Peyton Manning, Tom Brady talk, and uh, I will get into it a little bit more here the next couple days. I'm here five days a week. You can subscribe and listen at dannypicard.com, also on iTunes. Also, if you don't have an iPhone or iPad, download the show and subscribe on the Stitcher app. Go to stitcher.com. You can get this show. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all forms of social media. This show, every day, presented by Beantown Athletics, the only union screen printer in Boston. Go to beantownathletics.com or give them a call at 617-282-4181. 617-282-4181. You need something screen printed? You need something uh, embroidered? Yes, get it done right here at Beantown Athletics and order it at beantownathletics.com. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.